welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Amen. Father, we thank you as we stay in this posture that God is good that he has given himself totally, fully, completely, leaving nothing to chance, leaving nothing to accident. Father, that our lives are ordered, our lives are formed. As we've sang this morning, when we ask for the Holy Spirit's touch, his refreshing, when we ask him to get involved in our everyday, We thank you, Lord, that that form, that that feel, that that look images Christ. So, Lord, we ask today that what we are confessing and singing and unto the Lord, that we become more like our Father. We become more like our Savior. So we lift our hands as an act of yieldedness, a sign of surrender. Lord, that we can't do this on our own. We thank you we are a blood-bought people. We thank you that the most powerful substance known to man, the blood that runs through Emmanuel's veins, has changed, has redeemed, has saved, has healed, has called us from darkness into light this day. Lord, it is a joy to be with your people in your house, worshiping unto the Lord today. So, Father, we thank you and we honor you. Come and have your way as the scriptures are opened and as we're taught the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, it's so good to see you today. Can we thank our worship team? I don't know, every week it's just been so good as they've hit them lead us into such a beautiful place of worship. And uh, we're on a journey here at a gathering place. We have a great future ahead of us, things we're building into. And as we're heading into a season of, of looking at some of uh, monumental moments in the life of Christ through Holy Week and Good Friday and uh, the Ascension and Pentecost, we're going to be digging into a lot of these subjects and content and pray that you uh, aren't just to learn something through it, but you're to walk through and experience it with him. And these, these can be great seasons of growth. Many of you maybe even fast certain things during these times or give certain, certain things up. Uh, maybe you give an alm, which is where what I'm giving up here and the resource or money or monetary savings, I then go and plant or a seed or invest over there. And so it's, uh, these can be powerful moments of just looking at the holiness of our Savior and that these aren't just moments to reflect on, but there's something that you're to experience through it. And uh, as we're journeying toward that, as I told you last week, I'm just taking a few Um, Sundays and just giving you some pastoral encouragement and looking at uh, some specific things. And I always tell myself I can do one message and move on, but I've got to do a part two to last week this week because there's so much to say about the generosity of our Jesus, of our Lord. Aren't you thankful that Jesus has been generous to you? Personally, he's been generous to this church. And when we get a theology of giving and when we see the generosity of Jesus, it changes everything. Um, and it, you've got to get out of your mind and out of your head and, and get a fuller picture of thinking that generosity is just this small little part in a church service where I give a tithe or I give an offering or um, generosity is where I just help someone in need, though that's a part of it. Uh, but generosity is a lifestyle. And we want, we want people, when they see Christians, that one of the first things they should say is they are, they're generous. Um, because in a world today, especially with inflation and groceries cost more and gas costs more, the first thing that usually goes or that we get really tight on 
is our generosity. And uh, there's this powerful passage of scripture I might bring out in, in the weeks ahead, but in, in um, where it talks about when Isaac sowed a seed, uh, he sowed it in a time of famine. And he sowed it in a time of famine in a wasteland. And many of us, when we think, when is the opportune time to sow a seed or to plant something of generosity, we never think when it's a wilderness, it's a desert, and it's a famine. But those are usually the most powerful times to sow into because that's when the Lord can do his greatest work. And that's where you're giving something that's costly. And so when it's in God's economy and, and having a spirit of generosity, it does not matter uh, what the economy in the United States of America is. That these things transcend, these principles, these truths transcend what your investment portfolio is telling you on should you be generous here or what kind of tax break can I get through this. Though all of those things are important and they have the rightful place, but generosity first and foremost is a mindset. And uh, as we get into just the theology of giving, we've got to see and we've got to understand um, that there's so many elephants in the room around giving. I mean, I've talked to people through the years who've come from different churches or who've come from different denominations and there's been so much hurt and burden and bondage around the subject of generosity, around the subject of giving. There's a lot of coercion. There's a lot of manipulation. Um, and what we've got to be careful of is if you look at, let's just call in the 80s movement of the, charis of the charismatic movement and the giving, the televangelist preacher, a lot of things just kind of just drummed through and dripped through that if you were to say, okay, where is that in scripture, you would, you'd have to search for a long time. And there was just a lot of manipulation and a lot of hurt through that. Um, but what we've got to be careful of is just because sin was done here where there was excess, now, you know, 30, 40 years from those times, we've got to be careful that now we're not stingy and greedy and clingy to what we have because something was abused over here, it doesn't mean that there hasn't been truth somewhere in it, but it was just so distorted and twisted. You've gotta remember that the enemy, what he does is he doesn't create a new truth, he just twists the truth. Uh, Satan never creates, he always counterfeits. So you've gotta be able to spot the, the counterfeit bill, and then you've gotta go say, okay, this is the counterfeit, but this is the original. And the way we get the original, the authenticity of it, is we must always go to the scriptures. It can't be a pastor's opinion. It can't be a, a sleight of hand. It can't be something that feels good in a moment. But we've got to go to the scriptures. And, and what we're building, why we started the year off and cultivating a love for the scriptures, because this is going to be the place where we find our truth, where we find our theology. Perfect theology, as we said last week, is who? It's Jesus. So when you look at him, you see perfect theology because he perfectly reveals the Father to us. He perfectly teaches, he perfectly fulfills. And um, I love it because in a wasteland, especially in a, in a generation coming up, there is such void and vacuum of what do the scriptures say. And there has to be a Bible revival of sorts. There has to be a returning to the scriptures as um, younger pastors are coming in, as churches are transitioning. It can't just go from something that once was traditional to now we cut so much out and we're just trendy and we do everything short of sin just to reach people. Um, and it's such, a, it's such a tightrope and a fine balance of what do you do as a church just to get people in the door um, but what do you compromise along the way? And what we've got to understand, our viewpoint and our outlook of why we come into God's house, and I say this regularly, is not to get something, but it's to bring something. That we're coming to worship Jesus. This is not a day that, this is supposed to be a day that's set apart. Uh, it's supposed to feel different, look different, sound different. And what we're coming for is not even a good worship song and a good sermon. Those are elements of it, um, 
but that should not be what we look for. And what I'm afraid of, and we've all been guilty of this at times, of these are the things we're told to look for. Where's the good message? Where's the move of God happening? Where is this and that and the other? Uh, Versus there is such power, and I've seen this through growing, literally being born in this church, growing up in it, now pastoring it, is that there is such um, blessing and stability and fidelity and being planted in and out of tough seasons, hard seasons. And many of us, when the first tough thing that happens, we run or we cut loose. Uh, now there's times and there's reasons and there's situations and there's, if abuse happens or there's, there's always right ways and wrong ways to leave or to exit seasons, understand that. And those times have their rightful place. But what I'm speaking to is there's such a, a cut and run mentality anymore that no one's ever growing because no one's ever plant, staying planted. And where we have to stay planted first and foremost is we've gotta stay planted here. You're not planted to what I'm teaching you, you're planted to what the scriptures are teaching you. And I'm simply just a mouthpiece. And when we cultivate a love for this, when they're, when they're opened, it's like a, a, a divine fountain of life that then gets poured into you. And it, it refreshes you and renews you. And as we look around this topic and subject um, of giving and of generosity, um, I understand that there's elephants in the room. But at the same time, and these can be touchy subjects, is just because it's a tough subject or because you've seen abuse somewhere in it or I've seen abuse somewhere in it doesn't mean then we should kind of skirt around it or stay away from it because of how you feel about it or what your opinion is, what my opinion is. But we want the scriptures to guide our views of generosity. Um, The main point what I love about a church that gets serious about generosity, that stays faithful in tithes and offerings, that gives when it doesn't make sense, is it, it brings a church to a place of, yes, it, it funds the gospel, the sending forth of what the church is called to do in one hand, and we gotta be careful that we just don't focus on that part of it, but even more beautifully and even more fully is it moves the heart of God. And when God's heart is moved where generosity is, that's where his presence then touches us. See, giving was never meant to be separated from worship. Giving is worship. And giving is that which is costly. And we're going to look at a few places today where you'll see that giving, if it's not costly, we've got to sit back and examine it for a moment. I want to go um, first to Mark 12, 41 through 44. I promise you, your pastor loves you today. And you're still going to love your pastor after today. But what's neat and what you should be able to see looking into the horizon is it was through generosity we saw ZCA built. It was through generosity we're seeing the church being built. Um, that there's powerful, uh, uh, when, when generosity gets charged with the things of the spirit, God can do powerful things through it. He can take what little we bring and multiply it. We see this through the loaves and the fish. And this will be another, that'll be another parable I'll bring out uh, probably next week of what Jesus teaches us through that. But this is, this is a beautiful moment where you see the attitude and the heartbeat of what it means to be generous. And it should touch us all as we read this today. This is about the widow's two mites. It says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury And saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which made a quandron. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Isn't this a beautiful uh, gospel? You see a beautiful picture of sacrifice, a costly gift, 
And we even see Jesus put value where the world never puts value. And this is so much of what, where we see the countercultural part of who Jesus is, is he always puts value in places that no one ever, ever sees value. But he, like he said, he pulled the disciples aside and he taught, taught them through this. My old family just went through the stomach bug this week and uh, I caught it myself. I'm all good and healed, so if you hugged me or shook my hand today, I promise you're good. But um, we, had a, 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 we had an awful week. All of our kids got it except Bree, and, but we, we made it through and we're here today. So I feel a little dehydrated, so we're chugging water today. Just plug me up to an IV and I'll keep preaching if I got to. <laughs> But what I want us to see here, and I think we can miss this in this gospel story. Um, and again, this, this gets very particular. Is what we see is it says that Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. See, many times we think all Jesus cares about is how much we're giving or um, even that giving is a church thing and not a Jesus thing. But what this shows us here is Jesus sitting in the temple and the tabernacle is they're bringing um, their offerings into the treasury. And many, when they would give these coins, you saw where the rich would give in abundance. It would even be uh, a point of showmanship because the, the funnel, if you look at how the, the treasury was built and, and made, the funnel that these coins would go into would make a clink and a clank sound. So everyone who was walking through would hear all the clinking and the clanking of all the change going into the treasury. So if you had a lot to, to give, it would almost be like you're at, when you go into Kroger and you pass someone at the coin star dubbing tub, tubs of <laughs> change into it. And you almost want to hang out for a minute and see, I wonder how many pennies they're putting in here and how much cash is going to be dispensed. Um, but there's, there's so much kind of going into this, and Jesus is just pulling it all in line. But what I find very interesting is that Jesus is sitting opposite the, of the treasury, and he's just watching. He's observing and he's watching. And I think if we first take this mentality just right here, about what we give, how we give, the motive of why we give. And if we understand through this lens that Jesus, if he is sitting opposite of the treasury watching, then we're gonna talk differently about money. We're gonna talk differently about giving. We're gonna check our heart of why we're doing what we're doing because Jesus is very much involved. And the principle of what we see here is when you wanna know how Jesus feels about something, then see what he puts his hand on or see what he engages with. Um, if you wanna know how Jesus feels about babies, you can go and find scriptures that talk about babies, but even more importantly, uh, that goes than just what Paul says about how we should care for um, children or unborn. More powerfully is Jesus actually became a baby. Um, if you wanna know how Jesus feels about the unborn, Jesus became the seed in a woman. So this should teach us that he fills everything and didn't just say something about it, but actually became incarnate and in the flesh became a baby. Um, the same is with giving here. Uh, you could even go to the wedding of Cana. How does Jesus feel about marriage? We could look at Ephesians 5 of the types and the bridegroom and the bride. But when Jesus showed up to the wedding of Cana, he put his hand on saying that marriage is something sacred and beautiful and that I condone and that I'm behind. So Jesus here in the treasury is saying there is something holy, there is something beautiful about generosity and about giving. But what he's doing is he sees some corruption and he sees some error and he sees some motives of the heart that he needs to, to bring in line or teach his disciples and say what is important here. It's not putting all of your coins and creating a scene to say, look how generous I'm being. Look how much money I can bring or how much I can give. But he's doing something much deeper. 
And so Jesus is sitting opposite the treasure. I mean, picture we had Rusty standing here as we brought our offerings last week and as we all placed our offerings in. Imagine Jesus is sitting here opposite of where the treasury is just watching. And imagine locking eyes with Christ and knowing if there was just any impure motive or if there was any justification of why you're not giving or why you're giving a certain amount, that that just gets pierced. And see, the church has lost a lack of it piercing anything in our lives anymore. The scriptures don't pierce us anymore. And if there's not a, a piercing, if there's not a, a, oh, a wrestling happening or a cringe in your stomach when you read these things, then you're not becoming more like Jesus. Because so much of the way Jesus teaches is he kind of just sets a scene, lets it play out, enters into their normal life, but then pulls some deeper meaning and some, and some richer bread out of it to feed uh, that what he wants to teach them. So we've got to see this, is the Lord is not just teaching them a lesson, but he's watching the way they give, why they give, uh, and this just goes to a much deeper place of the heart. I love this too, and, and I think this is so much true of the world and culture we live in as well, um, and kind of just sets the stage for what we're talking about today. It's this, is we will forever fall into deception when we separate a truth, lowercase t, from the truth. We will fall into deception when someone gives you a lowercase word when it's separated from the word. So there's such a, a bridge of deception so many people live in because there is a separation from the capital T truth to a truth, from a lowercase word to the word. And so this is, again, where everything has to be backed up, grounded, informed, and plugged into the holy scriptures. And as God does what he wants to do here, as he builds his church, as we cling to his name, um, anything that's weird anything that's off, anything that's heresy, anything that is just new agey or kind of surrounds things or just is feelings-based, all of that just has to burn and die. Because the church honestly has had enough of that. And what I'm saying is, can the scriptures satisfy us? Can his word be enough to satisfy us? Not where we have to do all of these other things to feel good about ourselves, to feel good about a gift we have, but that we properly understand and we properly order our worship because Jesus has an order to worship. We don't get to make up how we worship him. It's set out and it's laid out. And to worship him in spirit and in truth, we must discover that and then align our lives, our opinions, our truth with the truth. You tracking with me? So all of this plugs into why we give, how we give. And Jesus is showing that it matters how and why we do. Yes, the amount matters as well. And all of it plugged in together and making one full picture. Just don't slice and dice one thing. But you've got to see the full picture and that Jesus cares deeply about it. Because giving is worship. We'll see this. Romans 8.32, we kind of ended with this yes, last week. It says, He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus is a giver. Jesus wants to give you good things. Jesus wants to prosper your life. But you cannot see it in, I give something to get something from God. And many times when we give to get, we shortchange a process, we manipulate a process, and we, we view God in a way that he's never intended to be viewed. You see, there is truth in when you do give, God does give in to you. But the motive has to be pure in it. And we've got to check our motives and why we do, why we sow, why we plant, why we bring tithes and offerings into the Lord's house. What we see in this gospel story is the widow, she gave from her need and from her lack. 
She did not give from her abundance. She did not give from a place that was, was easy to give. And where we see the Lord place value is his eyes were not on the two mites that were given. The eyes of Christ were actually looking back in one sense and seeing what was left over in her life, which was nothing. So he saw what was left over, not the amount that was given. And it moved his heart. And he taught to the disciples that this is, this is a pure, holy way to give. And again, we see in these type moments and in these type gospels that Jesus places value on things much differently than we do. I was also reading, I don't know if I gave it to you back there, but Acts 10, verse four. And this was about Cornelius' vision. And you see in the cross-texting of it, you see a similar piece of scripture. And it says in verse three that the angel of God was coming and saying to him, Cornelius, and it says, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And it says, so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So here too, you see an observing of what is taking place. Again, Jesus is connected and involved into the giving that we bring. And there is an observation to it, which should put a holiness to it, a reverence to it, a sacredness to it that we just don't do it flippingly, we don't do it sparingly, we don't do it by the seat of our pants, fly by the seat of our pants, but there is a costliness to it is where I'm trying to get us today and for us to see. One thing we've got to be careful too um, is that we never simply limit our worship to just a song. We don't limit our worship to just a song. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is generosity. Worship is, is who we are. That everything we're doing, everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. It should be worship. And so many, so many times we can get in a rut or we can just get in a place of where worship is just the song I sing. It's not the life that I live. We see this in um, Genesis 22. Look at this in the story of Abraham. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood from the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and what? and worship, and we'll come back to you. Understand, if you know anything about this story, is there's nothing being mentioned that Abraham and Isaac are about to climb Mount Moriah and go and sing a song. This is a worship of where Abraham is binding Isaac to sacrifice his son that God gave him in a place of worship. So understand that Abraham's worship here was very costly. What he was giving to God was very costly. And one thing I, I never want to do on the flip side is discount when we do sing unto the Lord, when we come in and gather and when we worship. Because there is an aroma, there is a sweetness, there is a place of where we are brought into um, a secret and intimate, a holy place with the Lord when we worship him in spirit and in truth. But I want you to see the full picture of it, that when worship can be coupled and it be full dimensional, you're gonna have a deeper place with the Lord that isn't just flighty, that um, isn't, uh, it might have a good tune and it might seem and sound Christian, but do the lyrics even line up with what the scripture teaches? I mean, this is a whole big thing in modern Christian music is, is it scripture, what we're singing? Um, you know, David even says this in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, there's a plague that, uh, that's attacking Israel. And um, 
is this plague is, is coming after Israel, uh, David says this is how we're going to defeat this plague. It says that then King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. And what's happening here is he said, we'll give an offering on behalf of you. But David rejects it. And he says, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings, hear this, with that which cost me nothing. So David even understood a true offering, it has to cost me something. And David rejected the fact that I'm not going to just give something for the act of giving, but I'm going to give in a place that costs me something. You know, this is, I even think of when I look at so many of the faithful that love and serve this house. I see people coming in to serve our kids in the nursery after they've been working all week. Maybe they stayed up late and you can see the tired on their face and they're bringing worship into the church to love our babies. I know, Bree, she was up all night with our kids and here ready to worship. Um, Corey coming off uh, a late shift here ready to worship. Many of you, there's a cost for you just to even get here. There's a cost for you to position yourself to be in a place to worship him and know that that cost never goes unnoticed. And it's actually in that cost, it is a place of worship you give to him. And so when you start channeling your tiredness, your lack of energy, your lack of money, your lack of resources and saying, I'm going to do it regardless, you're actually worshiping in a very deeper place because you're just not doing it when everything works out and everything fits and everything makes sense and there's enough money in the bank account. Sadly, a generation coming up will give more in the Starbucks drive through line on their way to church than they actually bring to the church. This is how lopsided things are. And this is why, again, out of love, we've got to talk about these things because they're, those seasoned here understand what it means to give. If we were to rely on my generation and anyone younger, uh, it'd be a... <laughs> It would be a whole different set of bill. Now, this isn't for everyone. We have generous people here, understand this. But I'm just making a point for a broader brush is the pendulum has so switched and shifted um, that this just isn't seen as necessary or where is my money going or I deserve to know this and that and the other. And there's a jab with it all and there's manipulation and we're gonna control the church and until we get what we want, we're not gonna give. And see, the beauty of how this church was built and um, why we do what we do and what we're doing as we build is we're believing God we're going to be doing this debt-free. We're not going to get into any debt. That's my heart and my prayer to build the house and to build the church. We're not doing a building campaign where we're asking you to give all of these extravagant gifts and, and all of those things. What we're asking is that we just be faithful to what the scriptures say and that we bring the tithe and the offering into the house. We give as the Holy Spirit directs us and he will take what little we have and do a miracle with it and build his church when it's in his name and in his way. Because here's the thing, if we want God's presence, which is what we want, God's, God's design comes with a demand. If we want God's design, if we want his church to look like him, then there is a demand put on our life to do what we sing today, crucify my flesh with yours. We can sing that because it's got a great tone to it, but when you really live a crucified life out, you're putting a lot of things aside. You're not uh, being led by your vices. You're not doing what you feel, what you want all the time but you're properly ordering yourself and you're going low in order that he may be exalted. And we're gonna see this in what Jesus has to say in, in the Beatitudes because ultimately the heart of what Jesus is doing is there is such a fear of clinging, how will I provide for my future? 
How will I pay my kids' education? How will I uh, pay the mortgage? How will I have enough to pay the groceries? All of these things we think about on a daily basis. And men, if, if you're a provider, whoever carries the money in your house, however that looks like for you, There doesn't go a day that doesn't go by where you're thinking of your budget, you're thinking of are we gonna have enough to make it? Are we gonna have enough to do this, that, or the other? Um, Where's the economy gonna be? So Jesus understands the mental turmoil that these things can cause us when they are wrongly ordered, but when they get rightly ordered, there is blessing that comes into it where you see he is your provider and he provides when you get things in order. And I've learned this the hard way in seasons in my life, and you never stop learning these things. And those of you that are givers, that do tithe, that do do these things, you understand that just because you're a tither and a giver doesn't make you exempt from God's hand ordering and straightening things out. So does the Lord care about your money? Yes, he does. And we've got to see it that way, that it's, Um, when we're gonna see that it's not, we can't serve two masters, that he's not saying money is evil, but the initiative of mammon wants to make money evil. That mammon has a strategy, mammon has an initiative to bring pain and to take something like money, which should be a resource to be a blessing to you and to cause turmoil. When you think of the world systems, how does it view and treat money? It's manipulative, it's greedy, uh, it's not generous, it's not selfless. And so when you see the way the world uses money, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday. They say if you look at the statistics alone, the Super Bowl's in Vegas this year, but the Super Bowl is one, if not the most um, day on the calendar where uh, child and human trafficking takes place. And think of all the money around that that's, that's happening, all the transactions and the deals and whatever. So it doesn't take very long to peel back the curtain of the damage that money can do, can do when it is initiated by a spirit of mammon. That's mammon's goal, to keep you in bondage with money. So here's where I wanna go. I wanna go and I wanna think um, just quickly of in the garden, when uh, the curse came through sin, uh, the, the curse for men uh, was that we would have to work by the sweat of our brow. See, before Adam ever toiled, he tended. Before sin came in, it was tending. Then when sin came in, the sweat of his brow, and now it is toiling. And men who have worked and uh, have put your hands to the plow and have done some hard jobs, have had some hard knocks, you understand what it means to toil. Let's say everyone in here, women and men alike, we know what it's like to toil. But what we've got to see is this was never God's original design. And so when what we have to see through the giving of the tithe and through the giving of the offering, it's as though when we work our job, we get our paycheck, we take in what we've worked for, Um, our hands look rough and beat up from a hard week's worth of work, and so you have this money in your hands, and what mammon will tell you to do is you cling to it, you put it away, you save it, those are all good things, but what the scripture teaches us to do is there is power in the first. There's power that when the first is released, then the whole lump is blessed, is the pattern you see through scripture of first fruits. And so we take that which we hold on to, we've worked for, but what the scripture teaches us then we do is we're then to turn our hands and to release the first, to give it unto the Lord, and then it becomes an example of what then that money can look like redeemed and blessed. And I think so much the spirit of this age says you've got to cling to everything you have, especially when times are tough, when, when I don't have enough. And maybe you're not even, most of us are not ill-intended or ill-hearted in it. It's just I see the budget, this is what it takes to make it. We've all been there. But what I'm telling you today is that this is what the scripture teaches and this is what we have to begin aligning ourselves with. And he took in the gospel story what the widow gave 
out of her lack and out of her poverty was the greatest gift that was given. And so again, what I'm setting you up for, if you feel you have nothing to give, then you are a prime candidate to bring something costly and beautiful to the Lord and to truly worship him. So let's look at Matthew 6, um, 19. This is where we see a beautiful beatitude. We're doing this, uh, we're putting the song together, Oh Blessed. Um, the worship team, they were in the studio yesterday getting some great parts, the bass and the, uh, what was it, the, ba- the bass and the drums together. So they've been working on uh, a lot of that. And, and this is a part of what carries in that song, of these beatitudes, these attitudes of life, of how we're to think about the stuff of life. Jesus says this, do not lay for yourself treasures on earth where moth, rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll continue reading in a minute. But if you think about what you invest into, If anyone has stocks in here, you probably check your portfolio, if not once a day, at least once a week. Where's this stock at? Where's this investment at? Where's the real estate market at? Investing is good, and we should all be investing in some way, shape, or form. And I want you to see this in this. When you're invested into something, there is attention to it, there's weight to it, and there is care toward it. Many of us when we ask ourselves, why is my heart not burning for the Lord? Why don't I really care about church? Why is the scriptures stay closed in my home? Um, you go to the scripture, and you see, especially in verse 21, that what, where you put your treasure actually has the ability to begin to move your heart. What you want your heart to burn for, put your treasure there, and your heart moves that way. Many of us think, my heart is here, so just naturally my treasure will follow. And this isn't the case. This isn't what the scripture teaches. And many of us say, when we say something stupid, what then do we usually follow up and say? We say, well, you know my heart in this, or that's not what my heart meant. But what we've got to see is, if we really want to know the intent of the heart, put the treasure there and watch as it has the ability to move your heart around the things of God. What you're invested in, you care about. And there's so many Christians that are not invested. They show up in one sense, but there's not an investment there. And I mean, what what great investment. Um, The great missionary, Jim Elliott, he famously said, you only get to keep what you give away. In light of eternity, In light of what we do, what we toil for, what we tend, we take nothing with us but that which we gave away for eternal purposes. And so it says here, the greatest investment isn't putting it in an account where rust can get to it, where moth can get to it, where someone can break in and steal it. If you've ever been susceptible, I mean, the 06, 07 economy, all the ups and downs, the cyclical natures of things, we see how quickly your investments that you've poured your life into in one blip or in one moment, everything can change. And so this is telling us that there is a much greater account you can invest into where nothing can be broken into, where nothing can be destroyed, and that this is where we want to lay up for ourselves these treasures goes on to say in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So there's a very clear, distinct line. Again, does God care about your money? Yes. Um, 
And this is really the dividing line of why he cares. Because he does not want you to get involved. He does not want you sitting in church every Sunday and you're being led by the initiative of mammon, but not fully in and fully understanding um, the principle and power of laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. And again, this just isn't in a monetary sense. Please understand me. But what we give and what we earn, the first fruits of what we bring, there is monetary value in this. And just because uh, these are touchy subjects, uh, you know, Jesus talks about money all over the place. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that we don't manipulate you for these things. We don't teach incorrectly on these things. And where you invest your money when you bring your tithe and offerings into the house, it goes out into the ministry and everything that you see here. I mean, it's very clear. And, um, you know, not all places are like that. And I, I understand that people have been hurt through that. But what we again have to go to is look at the mindset of Jesus because this is what he's trying to get people to see first and foremost, is so many times the reason we cling to it is because we're afraid of what the future looks like. Many of us, we live paycheck to paycheck and we don't know how we're gonna get to next month unless God does it, right? We've all been there or maybe we're there now. And, and what he's saying is when you begin to operate this way is the fear of how I'm gonna make it tomorrow gets handled and gets dealt with. Therefore, I say to you in verse 25, do not worry about your life. So he's saying in one sense, you're serving mammon because you're worrying about your life. What does that worry look like? What you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, uh, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Sadly, for most of us, we would say no because this is where our mind lives around, just to make it and just to survive. And Jesus says, look, this is my mindset toward these things. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's saying, look at the careless, um, look at the ease, look at there's not a striving, there's not this hard toil. And understand this as well, a generation of men need to hear this. Just because we're in the new covenant doesn't mean we don't have to work, right? Doesn't mean we don't have to strive. Paul says very clearly, if you don't work, you don't eat. And if you don't work, you're even worse than an unbeliever who does not even provide for his family. So these are, are very clear. Um, but you've got to get to the mindset of what Jesus is establishing here. And yet I say to you, verse 29, that even Solomon in all his glory was not, uh, or, or sorry, in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into their barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So he's saying, if you're ready to stop worrying, try, start doing something different. And I think many of us, we don't give God the chance to try something different. And we just keep staying in this cycle of worry, of clinging to our money, our way, our stuff, and how we think we're gonna figure it out. So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, when we approach generosity as something worshipful and costly, it should be done in faith. But many of us, when we don't approach it, we're actually doing it in fear. We're not giving, we're not surrendering, we're not yielding, we're not worshiping in this way. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Let's not be like the Gentiles, that this is all we talk about and all we worry about. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Say amen right there. He knows 
Does God care about your money? Yes. He knows what you need. But many of us, we treat him like he doesn't hear us, he doesn't see us, and he does not know what we need. But he's very invested, and he knows, and he cares. We all know this part, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Take it one day at a time. Take it one moment at a time. Some of you who are so worried, you're so far thinking into the future, you've got to back it up, and what can you do today? What can you bring today? What can you give today? And start there. It's baby steps. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man. I mean, these are just pointed, beautiful reminders of where money's supposed to be, the place it's supposed to have in our life. It should not inflict fear and worry, but there should be faith and there should not be a constant striving around these things, but there should be, again, it is a picture of when I bring into God's house in a place of worship, I'm taking that which is cursed, and it is a sign of then how Christ redeems it in our life. And I'm telling you, what you see all around you is built by generosity. When you see churches, they're built by generosity. When you look at so many of the great cathedrals, uh, even in Europe. Some would take four to 500 year, years to build. In these cathedrals, um, people would start giving and planting into them, and they would never even get to worship in them or see them. I mean, what faith that takes. And again, so many of us, we just, we lack the faith to see or believe God uh, for anything that we can't just benefit from. Anything that we can't directly get something out of, I ain't gonna have any faith for. But if that's, your, if that's your mindset, then guess what? That's not even faith. You guys seeing this today. And so I wanna just close with this. Yeah, Bree, Mike, if you guys come, we're gonna do a song, we'll take communion. And I just want us to, to just check ourselves as we look at the story of the widow. As Jesus was sitting opposite of the treasury, just picture if Jesus, if you sent him, just like when you go to buy a house, three months of your bank statements, your tax returns, he got into the details of all your money and he were just to sit and watch it, would it be pleasing to him? Is he anywhere in there? And I think these are just places that we can just kind of check out of our walk with God and think that he really doesn't care. Even if I'm a tither. Um, and we'll get into understanding the tithe more deeply, more beautifully, and the coming weeks, but what I want you to see today and from last week is inside the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are always giving of themselves. Who God is by nature is he is generous. God gives more freely and easily and, and quickly than we even breathe a breath. That's who your God is. So when God being generous, then we take what Jesus teaches and saying it's not about the showsmanship of money, it's not about what your money can do you, the rooms it can put you in, the way the world handles money where it brings power and status and eliteness. This is not what money is intended for. Money is intended to care for the broken, to help the poor and needy, to care for the widow, to be a blessing, to be a blessing to your family, to your household, that when you get a biblical mindset of what money is, you begin to see the clear line of that which is mammon and that which is biblical stewardship of your money. And the reason we're talking about this today is because when you begin to operate in this, you begin to see God's hand move for you. You begin to, to see that there is more blessing 
And when you have 90 and it's blessed, 90% and it's blessed, and you just holding on to 100 tightly and you go figure it out. Understand this today. If you're in this church and you don't tithe, we still love you just the same. This is not a message to them when the offering happens, now you need to tithe. But this is a message where you go home and you open the scriptures and you wrestle with it. And you see the pattern from Genesis to Revelation of what it means to be generous and the blessing that's in that. Because when I give, guess what? It destroys the demon of greed in my life. When I consistently bring the tithe, it reminds me that God is first place in my life. It heals the places of money and the destruction it can do. You hear all the time, we think money will fix our problems, but uh, it says within seven to 10 years, people who win the lottery, uh, they're completely broke. And they're usually addicted and money destroyed them, it did not help them. So we've gotta get out of our mindset that money fixes our problems, where a lot of the times money wrongfully stewarded actually creates more problems. And um, I want you just to see this in a biblical lens and understand that if you don't have anything to give, that's not primarily the point. When God sees the heart of the widow, he sees that she gives from her lack and from her poverty. And so first and foremost, that's what Jesus sees. And that worship is costly. And we've got to get out of our mind that we don't ever bring anything into God's house. We don't bring anything. We just show up. We hear a good message. We hear a good word. We get tired. We get hungry and we leave. You know, we've just got to get out of a lethargic style of why we come to God's house. To just fill a seat, hear something good, get through the week. I'm not saying that's our mindset, but if you're not careful over time, it can, it can morph into that if you don't let your heart burn. You should come into the house of God, not with your heart getting lit by a match, but it should already be burning. And then when you come in, Bree's gonna throw some fire on it. The scriptures will throw some fire on it. And then it's just gonna burn for the week. And then when you get in your scriptures tonight, when you get in the morning and in the evening, then you keep that fire stoked. And so what I, I just, I don't want us to be a church and Christians that just discount this huge part of our worship because we've seen it so wrongly abused in our past or we've seen it done wrong over here or I just, that's Old Testament, that's Old Covenant. Again, we've been looking that the whole thing is about Jesus and when Jesus teaches, he teaches the scriptures which are the Old Testament. So you cannot just separate these things and say that's not Jesus and this is Jesus because it's all Jesus and he's perfect theology. So let's just bow our head for a moment as we prepare to take communion, as we uh, will prepare to give. Jesus, we thank you that wherever we're at, in our understanding of our lives being one of generosity, that the tithe, the offering, when we come into God's house, that we not come empty-handed. Lord, I thank you for those that do give here, that we have what we have here and are able to be a blessing to families here, to this community, because people do tithe, because people do give. They do bring offerings. Lord, we thank you, um, God, that you are a generous God, that even despite our ignorance, our rebellion, Father, you still give into our lives because you're a good father. But God, we don't want to take such a precious gift of your generosity of salvation, of this blood that you give us, and treat it lightly. But we want our whole lives to be a life and a point of worship to a God who gave us everything. Lord, I pray that you move on hearts. Holy Spirit, that you make us more like Jesus in this area of generosity that you shake up things of where we've believed a lie, we've believed an opinion, we've justified something ourselves, and we've discounted what the scriptures teach. 
Lord, as we prepare to take communion, as we just worship here for a moment, prepare our hearts to receive rightly in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.